Howdy, Rob Lee here, and we're going to get back to the truth in this art, but I want to do a little exercise with you. As you know, the truth in this art is an audio experience, so I'm going to ask you to do something a little different this time and visualize with me. I'm thrilled to reintroduce you to Forged Eatery, a true gem that captures the essence of farm-to-table dining in Baltimore. At Foraged Eatery, they have mastered the art of sourcing local and seasonal ingredients, resulting in a menu that will leave you in awe. Their commitment to quality and to flavor is simply unmatched. Picture yourself, see it's the visual, picture yourself uh, savoring their mushroom stew, a comforting and aromatic dish that transports you to a world of culinary bliss. The depths of flavor and the carefully selected ingredients will tantalize your taste buds. You can swap out and insert the focaccia, which is heavenly, or the irresistible cornmeal fried happy oysters. Each bite is a celebration of culinary mastery. Forged Eatery goes beyond being simply a restaurant. It's an immersive experience where the menu evolves with the seasons. Each visit promises a new and exciting experience for your taste buds, making every moment unforgettable. So, fellow food fans, fellow food lovers, it's time to discover the magic of Forged Eatery. Let their innovative approach to dining and their passion for locally sourced ingredients transport you to a world of culinary excellence. Don't miss out on an extraordinary dining experience. Plan your visit to Forge Eatery today and let your taste buds revel in the true flavors of the season. It's time to indulge in a gastronomic adventure that will leave you craving for more. For more information, visit forgedeatery.com. Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. Thanks for listening, sharing, and subscribing to this podcast. To note, if you want to support this podcast, leaving a review and subscribing on your favorite podcast platform is one of the best ways to help out. It gets more eyes and ears on the podcast, and definitely it helps us get discovered and have more people become aware of these great stories. In addition, I've got a Patreon. If you want to support in that way, the Patreon link will be in the show notes. It's really cool if you guys can drop a couple bucks in there. If you have it and if you'd like to, that's great. But also, no pressure. No pressure. Um, today, today I um, have a guest um, who is a linchpin in Baltimore's art culture, branding, design. Um, they're managing the Globe Collection and Press at MICA. Please welcome Allison Tipton the manager of the Globe Collection and Press at the Maryland Institute College of Art. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for, for coming on. I, I, I rehearsed that multiple times and I wanted to deliver that one much like Ron Burgundy. That's what I was going for. Didn't quite work. <laughs> you got the name right, though, and there's a whole lot of words in that name. So, we're uh, well... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, thank you for for joining me and, and making this happen. Uh, we we were able to talk a few months ago, and I uh, was looking forward to this. Uh, I think you know it's just really good energy, good chat, and um, you know I want to at least you know I always like to invite folks on that I think are like minded. And um, for starters, you know I want to give you the space to to introduce yourself and and share something new and exciting in your world. Um, 
and, I, and, the, and the reason I want to start off there, because I, I think it's, a, it's very important for folks to uh, um, really articulate who they are and what they're about. Like, I could say some words. And that may not encapsulate how maybe you define your role, or how you present yourself. So please, you know, introduce yourself and share something exciting that's going on in your world at this moment. Sure. Um, as you said, my name's Allison, um, and I have I run the Globe Collection at MICA. So if there is something day glow kicking around this city that looks like a Globe poster, I probably made it, um, or at least art directed one of my students to do it. So uh, I'm a designer, printer, letterpress printer, screen printer, um, sort of jack of all trades, master of none. Um, And I live here in Baltimore. I've been in Baltimore for the last 15 years. I've been running the Globe Collection at MICA for 10 years and change. Um, I helped with the original acquisition of the collection. So I'm one of a handful of people who knows what's buried in all the boxes because I put it there. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's, excited to be talking about globe today. Oh yeah. That's great. Where where did you move in from? Cause you know, 15 years and you know, you're kind of like practically a Baltimorean, but where'd you move from? Almost except my giveaway is that I still pronounce my T's. (gasps) Um, (laughs) I'm from Connecticut. Um, and then I came down to Baltimore to go to Micah, um, and then sort of fell into globe along the way and had every intention of moving to the West coast because I had friends out there. And then I accidentally got employed and (laughs) then I didn't. And I've been here ever since. (laughs) I mean, Connecticut has a few T's in it, so I think that's why you're you're getting those T's out there. It's, it's true. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no short, no short T's. Um, so let's let's dive a little bit into the the artistic and the cultural because I always kind of talk about all art, culture, and community is sort of like the, the key themes of this podcast. So you know, are so are some of the aspects in your work and design, you know, printing. Where does your story like start? And you know, I have a sub question for that, but I at least want to start off there. Sure. So I came to Baltimore to go to school. Um, I was a design major and I spent the better part of my sophomore year making really, really terrible work. Um, and was like, well, I got to figure this out or this isn't, I got to figure out what I got to figure something else out to do. And so I started taking printmaking classes because part of my struggle with the work that I was making is I'd spend time designing things digitally and then go to print them and had no control over the final output of the things I was making. And so I started taking, I took a screen printing class and a letterpress class kind of simultaneously as like, uh, I'm going to learn to like make things start to finish. Um, And I really like the structure of letterpress. I think as a young designer, I needed rules and Micah's not really a rule. Mm giving school. Um, like there was just too much freedom and that didn't really work for me. Um, the letterpress and like you're working within the constraints of the physical materials made a lot of sense. And I started making work that like, that I really liked. And you know, when you like the work you're making, you want to make more of it. And then I got involved with globe 
um, as a student helping to rally for the acquisition for Micah's acquisition of the collection. Um, so my, the woman who was my letterpress teacher at the time, um, she's a designer here in town, Mary Mashburn. She runs typecast press. Um, she was already kind of working with this group of people to build community support for the acquisition of globe. And her and I were talking and she was like, well, I need, you know, we're working on this thing. And I was like, well, what can I do? And she was like, I need, I need help from students. Like we need to actually convince the institution that students want this. And that I'm not just some lady who's trying to talk them into acquiring this collection of historic printing materials. And so I spent the better part of my senior year, I guess not really making work after all um, and hanging out at globe and helping. I spent my spring break there, like packing boxes of type before Micah had even really like formally agreed to buy the collection, but we kind of knew it was on the horizon or at the very least we were getting some of it and we were going to cherry pick off like the best representation of the collection. And if all that's, if that's all we got, then we were going to live with that. And then Micah announced that in fact, they were actually going to buy the entire collection and um, our work got more exciting, but also more complicated because um, for context, we, it's globe is not just a bunch of old posters. Micah is a craft school. We're not a collecting school. We don't have a museum or a craft school. And so what Micah was super interested in is the stuff that can be used to make new work. Mm. Um, so the wood type, the hand carved blocks, the face plates of all of the performers that globe was printing for, um, old sketches, the tools of the trade. That's the stuff that kind of really made sense here. And we acquired posters and business records and all the, the, all of the process work as well. But the stuff that Micah was super excited about and the stuff that we could continue to use and to teach with, um, we packed all that stuff up and carried it over from Globe's last location in Highland Town to Micah in 16 box trucks worth of stuff. And not the cute little U-Hauls, like the ones that are like the half semis. Um, and in true Baltimore form, we started moving on the hottest day of the year. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> those poor movers, like there was no air conditioning. Um, the guy at globe was like, Oh, let me help. He, he thought he was, he was like, well, I have this big vent fan. Let me turn that on and, and we can move some air through here. God knows the last time he turned that vent fan on because the, a bunch of pigeons had nested in there. <laughs> they're all sweaty. And we got like tarred and feathered right. pigeons <laughs> it was a really it was a really eventful day um but we made it <laughs> it's been at micah globe has been at micah for 10 years and uh kind of growing and evolving and finding its finding its footing and and, and thank you wow i mean you, you it's funny you took the words right out of my mouth i was like it's like sweated and feathered but you know tarred and feathered works a lot better <laughs> And um, yeah, you know, and also I was thinking, I was like, are you going to do like, you know, basically all of like Globe was on like Mayflower trucks, the way that the Colts left Baltimore in the early 80s. I was thinking I was thinking of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, less dramatic, but I did almost get into a fight with a woman who parked her white Lexus in front of the loading dock. Um, and I was like, <laughs> ma'am, if you don't move your car, my movers are going to move it for you. <laughs> as one does it was, it was not my like nicest moment but you know we made it we made it through <laughs> when you're hot you do irrational things you 
Yeah. Um, I, I remember before I moved into my, my current place, this, the, the home studio I'm in now, my, um, my old apartment uh, served, it was a studio apartment, so it served as a studio and an apartment. And um, I had my buddies um, help me move everything, but it was like the middle of July. And it was, yeah, literally the hottest thing, putting everything in um, one of those pack rat boxes, those, those big units. And just, I'm looking at them, I'm not really breaking a sweat, but they are sweating like their asses off. And I'm like, oh, Oh, this is what's happening. I'm a villain. I'm making my friends uh, help me move in the hottest day of the year. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the only way to move in Baltimore. Like, nobody moves in, like, in a cool month here. It's always, like, May, June, July. Um, 100%. We're all crazy people. And uh, uh, I, I will say that the one cool thing that I did, because even though I, I, I was a villain in that, unintentional villain, right? Uh <laughs> I, I, I am bougie, so I got the really, really super expensive pizza. I don't I don't really give money to my friends to help me do things, but you know, it's either you can do it or you can't. But, you know, I do feed them very well. So it's like, you know how like you get the Joe Squared pizza and it's super expensive? Yeah. I got like the toss pizza that used to be in uh like Govins that's probably in that same price point, but the pizzas are smaller. And they ate it and looked at me and it's like, this is really bougie, but really delicious. So you really needed us to help you. I was like, I did. <laughs> I did. I think I survived. I survived moving globe on De Pasquale's sandwiches and Hone's donuts. Mm. Um, I think I've successfully eaten everything on De Pasquale's menu because of moving globe. Um, and Hone's, which is now... Uh, closed, but they were closed on, they used to be closed on Mondays and Tuesdays. And so Mary's husband, Steve, who was also part of the moving team referred to it Wednesdays as Hones Day. Um, and there were days where we'd like split between like, we had the jars of change to pay the parking meters outside and we'd like scrounge together. Hones at the time was cash only. And we'd like scrounge to not scrounge together enough quarters to buy like a half dozen donuts um, so it was really just like sugar and carbs that <laughs> got us through that move. Um, nice. Steve also has excellent taste in candy. Um, like some people would try and bring us like carrots and like healthy food. And I was like, no, no, no. We're eating starbursts for lunch. Excuse me. <laughs> so I, I want to ask this before I, before I move into a bit more about, about the globe collection, but, um, what is, you know, cause I think we always have something that shows up early, early, early in our, you know, existence or in our journey to sound super pretentious about it. Um, that like something really early that shows up that kind of like caught your eye. Was, was it like, you know, uh, branding? Was it a poster that really caught your eye that kind of gave you that inkling that you wanted to pursue, you know, art and design as, um, as a career potentially or as an interest at least? Um, well, I was never going to make it as a STEM kid, so uh, <laughs> I guess art, no. Uh, I mean, I've always been a create. I was always a creative kid, and I think that it took me a while to figure out design was where I wanted to end up. I knew I didn't really want to be like a fine arts person, hmm. um, and my, my dad's an engineer, and he's very practical, so he was always like, well, how are you going to make money? I'm not going to fund your lifestyle forever. How are you? Where are you going to get health insurance from? Like very practical. And I was like, well, I can go to art school and get a design degree and that will get my dad off my back. Uh, so it sort of like checked a lot of boxes. 
Um, <laughs> but I think posters, I mean, you know, in hindsight, I've always loved posters. I've always loved them in their very like tangible form of communication. Um, and now I have a love of like, I love like hand-drawn like protest posters because there's just like, like posters are very like, they can be very raw and emotional in a way that like things that exist on the, you know, social media are not. Right. True. Very true. So yeah, the, the sort of practical situation definitely kind of moves us away from whatever the, the, the thing could be. Um, I remember uh, I wanted to be um, at one point a comic book artist, at one point um, an engineer, a chef, all of these different things, right? It's like, you know, uh, a Lego figure of me wearing a chef hat or having the the pencil behind my ear or the pencil in my hand as as an illustrator. And I just remember in high school, like, my parents were like, so what is the plan? You know, like, it was like, what are you really going to do here? Because you're not going to make money doing this. And um, chose business and uh, kind of still had this sort of creative thing that was in the, the background. You know, podcasting became a thing that was um, very interesting to me, you know, after a few years of being in the, the real job area. But it always was there, really, you know. Yeah, it's kind of funny how, like, the things that really bring themselves to the surface. I mean, before I was, before I really committed to my life as a designer, when I was still in school, I would go home to Connecticut for the summer. Um, and I worked in a horse barn. Um, and I've been not a horse girl, but I, uh, I do love large farm animals a lot. (laughs) Um, and it was, you know, I love horses, but there was never really a practical way that was going to be, a career. I'm not, I was not a talented enough rider to make it as a, or really brave enough to make it as a professional. Um, and I wasn't good enough at math to make it in vet school. So, uh, it was like one of those things that I'm like, yeah, that was a really important, like horses were a really important part of my life. And I learned a lot because I worked, I worked in barns. I didn't have, I mean, my dad was not floating that lifestyle for me. So I worked for every, I worked for all my rides, Um, and I mean, I learned how to work really hard and I learned how to be really, really dirty. And I think maybe in hindsight, like that led me up to globe and not being horrified by the pigeon and sweat (laughs) situation. Cause I was like, this is really not even the grossest situation I've ever been in. (laughs) That's that's good. (laughs) I mean, I guess I learned how to lift heavy things and be really sweaty and dirty in the process. So I was just made to work for globe. Yeah, I I think it is a thing where every now and again, um, I'll talk with people and they're like, yo, you got a lot of patience. And I think it prepares me for like, sometimes for interviews or even some of the things that you're dealing with, like funders or some of the behind the scenes stuff that it's like, this was a contract. I, you know, all business, right? Because I've business, you're like, this is a contract. These are the terms of the contract, and now you're breaking the terms of the contract. And it's like, so what are we doing here? And and trying to sort of navigate that, or even in doing interviews, um, there are some people who do a lot of the just the weird sort of. You ask them a question, you know. I try to spend time working on these questions and, and having a perspective. And I'll ask folks like, "So, who are some of your influences?" Oh, I don't have any influences. <laughs> I'm like, I can name five of them looking at your work. I don't have any influences. I'm just completely as is. No influences. Nothing is nothing has motivated me. 
full of baloney. And in, in trying my damnedest not to call them out, like, you sure about that, bro? <laughs> in this minute of your movie. <laughs> um, so let, let's let's talk a bit about some of the the projects that you've worked on, um, you know, as a designer. And if you would, could you, you know, share one with us that particularly uh, resonated with you or was particularly challenging? Um, just something that comes to mind and, and whether there's a story uh, attached to it. Sure. I mean, I have a lot of, I've been very fortunate in my work with Globe that we have had a lot of really incredible clients who have really put a lot of faith, sort of blind faith in me, not like, not really knowing me and just being like, can you do this? And me being like, yeah, sure, probably. I'll figure it out. Um, but I think like each project, I, there's a lot of projects that have great stories behind them. Some good, some bad, some weird. The one that kind of comes to mind recently just and this one's on this one's kind of fresh because um it's a recent project is they they just finished the cfg bank arena downtown and they had reached out to us to be like hi do you have some old posters we can display in our in some of the venue spaces like posters related to the arena and i was like well probably sure i can look around and see what we've got um our collection is not digitized um mm -hmm. It's not item. It's not itemized at item item level, so it's kind of hard to find specific things. But I was like, let me see what I can do for you. And I was like, by the way, we also make new posters in the Globe style using all that great stuff. Like you should consider letting us work with you to make new posters for your events that are coming up. And it's just. And I was like, also by the way, I'm leaving for Japan in like three weeks. So whatever we like, I know this coincides with your with the arena reopening, but like I'm leaving the country. So like, there's like a hard stop on this work. And the people I worked with at CFG were just so awesome. Like they were fast on their emails. And at one point, we got to the point where we were waiting on sign off from one of the band posters, mm -hmm. and I was like, the woman I was working with, Jamie. I was like, Jamie, I have to start printing. Like I have to print, I'm screen printing posters one color at a time. Like this is a labor intensive process. We have to, I have to start printing. Like we've got like 10 days to do this. And she was just like executive decision. She was like, go for it. I'll take the fall for whatever goes wrong. And those are my favorite kind of clients that are just mm -hmm. like, they understand that you're on a timeline, like you respect them on a deadline and like, we're just going to make this happen and it's going to be kind of chaotic and great. And so we did posters for Bruce Springsteen and the Eagles and earth, wind and fire for CFG's opening weekend, which like, those are awesome. Those are, you know, everyone wants to do music posters for those three acts. Like they're, it's great. It's awesome. It's a super cool thing, but just to like be able to do those and then have people that were like, let's do like let's go great um, <laughs> right. was just like good energy all around they were an awesome team of people to work with that's dope that's that's dope i i love that as well it's the uh i, I encounter it in the day job sometimes it's like uh it's like you're gonna have to do it and it's like ask for forgiveness later you know versus sort of this cycle of a version of procrastination like i'm encountering that now with a, a client and sort of the the business side of rob lee industries and uh it, it's like hey you know can you work on this as soon as possible i'm like sure and it goes back to the the sort of contract thing and i'm like we have a contract we, we we're going to start in it but that contract says i don't start working until a deposit is paid and you guys have this timeline, but 
you know, I haven't gotten a deposit. Oh, yeah, we got to look into that. Okay, then we'll revisit me working on this. But it's funny because, like, we were looking at kind of knocking everything out within two months. And we're already a month in. And I haven't gotten any funding or anything like that. So I'm like, yeah. But if, you know, this person has sort of the initiative of, I know the money is good. I know the situation is tight. We just got to roll with it. Because to your point about that sort of hard stop and that sort of timing, it's, I don't know, we have this sort of culture where, and I think maybe it's the gig economy thing, but we have this sort of culture where somehow people think you're at their disposal, especially when you're in this sort of client relationship. And, you know, it's like, I have multiple clients, I have multiple other obligations. So for, for you and in, in, in working in that sort of capacity, how, how does that work? How do you navigate sort of that and having maybe multiple clients, multiple sort of competing deadlines and all of the other things that could go awry because it's labor intensive as you touched on? It's labor intensive. I, I mean, I try to be as upfront with people as possible. Like I am always down to like try and find some crazy way to get th- something done, like in a really tight deadline. And the thing about posters now is pe- post- people don't use posters to advertise. Posters are posters are now used more to commemorate an event that happened. And so they're often an afterthought when there's budget cuts, it's always the first thing that gets axed. But when people are like, well, we need posters in like a week. And I'm like, if we can do it, yeah, sure. I'm down to make that happen. But I usually like when I bid jobs, I always put like, this is, this price is good until this date, knowing that I have you penciled into my calendar. And if you don't commit, then I'm going to fill your spot with somebody else, but also your price is going to change because now I'm going to, your job is now a rush job. Like, and it's like, I just try to be like, and because of the labor intensive nature of like how long each color takes to print and letterpress is print letterpress is printed with oil-based ink and that has a dry time to it. So it, when it's really humid in Baltimore, those posters need like two days to dry. So I'm not just working against like, it's not like, oh, I can print it tomorrow morning and you can have it in the afternoon. It's like, no, I have to print it and then let it sit. Um, So we're fighting the elements and it might be 24 hours. It might be 48 hours. Like it really, I'm at the mercy of Baltimore's weather. Um, (laughs) And so it's just like, for me, it's just like being, trying to be really upfront with people about like, this is the reality of the situation. Like I will make it happen, but you have to work with me. Yeah. So I got, I got this question um, and you, you, you've touched on a little bit um, as far as like, sort of like maybe the history you'd mentioned the CFG thing and, and some of the like archive pieces that, that you found and going through the, the archives, if you will, and sort of the history around it. Um, you know, share with us a little bit more about like some of the significance of, of the globe collection. And is there a piece that you've come across that really like pops like, yo, this is super old or wow, that is something we wouldn't do anymore or, or whatever the thing might be. We have plenty of, certain things that were like, Ooh, that didn't age well. Um, uh, for the blocks, I'll start with those since I'm now on it. We, we do have some stuff in the collection. We have a bunch of menstrual cuts um, and that kind of stuff that is taken out of circulation. Obviously we don't print those except for in special circumstances where like I had a visiting artist one time, Amos Kennedy, um, who uses that kind of imagery in his work a lot. Amos has Amos collects 
menstrual printing blocks. And so like, those are the kind of situations where that's okay. But like those blocks are not in regular circulation. We bring them out to talk about them because it's, you know, that's part of Globe's history. Like they were printing for that kind of stuff. Um, So those there's elements of the collection that are like retired from use. Sometimes they're retired for content. Sometimes they're retired because the blocks are old and fragile. A lot of Globe's collection is made out of wood. Um, And sometimes that wood is warped or chipped or really, really fragile in a way that if we put it on press, we could potentially do damage to it. So stuff gets pulled out of circulation for different uses. Um, I have, so Globe's collection like I mentioned, a lot of it's made out of wood. Some of it's made out of wood with metal printing plates mounted on top. Um, there's another material called Tai-Pi. It's T-I-P-I. And Tai-Pi is type high. So for anything to print letterpress, whether it's wood type or metal type or a hand-carved block or a linoleum, if it's 0.918, it will print. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's this tie pie material that's rubber mounted on wood and it's a really cool material. It was a byproduct of the tire industry. And when it was like artists now would drool over it. Cause if you've ever tried to carve linoleum, it's really tricky because you can never, it's really hard to get good sharp points and really fine details and tie pie when it was new was rubber mounted on fabric mounted on wood. So you would cut into it with an exacto mm-hmm. knife and peel the substrate back. And so globes type like those blocks still print beautifully. They print like velvet. Um, and so that's, that's one of my, okay. There's my first favorite thing in the collection um, is a, there's a set of James Brown, blocks. And so it's a tie pie background. Um, there's a, like a, it's the background block for a James Brown poster. And so that's made out of the tie pie material. And then there is the, the wording, the fabulous, and then his name, um, James Brown, like the plates that go with it. And then there's the face plate that fits into it. So I love that set of post that set of items that collectively makes up the poster design. So that's probably one of my like most favorite because it's all these different elements. Um, And Globe didn't save a lot of the 50s and 60s era posters. But the reason we know who Globe was printing for is because we have all the face plates of the performers and we have the physical printing blocks. They didn't see the posters as art. They were ephemeral. They were up one day and down the next covered over by something else, but they were printers and printers are inevitably like hoarders when it comes to their printing equipment. So they won't save the posters, but they have, you know, we have 7,500 faceplates in our collection, of James Brown and Marvin Gaye and Aretha Franklin and BB uh, King. You, I've got like, I've got a box that we just refer to as the box of Marvin Gaye's head. <laughs> really confusing. I And there's a little Marvin in there. Um, and it's just the silhouette. It's just a floating image of his head. And a, when I fly, sometimes I fly with that Marvin Gaye head if I'm going somewhere to teach a workshop or something. And explaining the TSA while you have Marvin Gaye's head in your bag is really an experience. Do, uh, do they ask you what's going on? Uh, it's way easier if you treat 
the head like you do your laptop and you put it in like its own bin because they're going to it's going to just it's a metal plate so it's going to show up on their scanner as a thing of metal um, and then they're going to take it out and swab it and ask you what it is um, and you have to explain that you work in an in a archaic printing trade <laughs> <laughs> it's, That's- it's really an experience. It's, it's something else. That, like a half dozen times with this block, and it's <laughs> I've learned I've learned the techniques for flying with Marvin Gaye's head. That's wild. But there's that's- my second favorite object is so there's another Marvin Gaye's head that's probably like eight by ten. It's big and it's made out of copper. Um, and that Marvin is significant because copper. Um, most of these printing plates are made out of zinc. Um, mm. Copper is a harder metal. And even when they were making those plates, copper was really expensive, which meant it was a long run and they were investing a lot into that block. So it was really a good chunk of change for them to have. And so we have this big, giant copper Marvin Gaye's head. And we refer to him as our patron saint. (laughs) Um, Because when my colleague Mary was, Mary Mashburn was trying to talk Micah's former president, Fred Lazarus, into buying Globe. And, you know, you, you go in and you make your intros and you're like, and she's like, do you know about letterpress? No. She's like, he's like, how about Hat Show Print, Yeehaw Industries, some of the shops that were really popular at the time? No. And she was like, how about Marvin Gaye? And he was like, oh, I love Marvin Gaye. <laughs> Mary was like, Micah could have this in their collection um and so and he's been to a lot of and it's become kind of a running joke like the first time i met our newest provost like i brought marvin gay with this particular marvin with me and i was like well he's good luck um welcome to micah you're gonna need it (laughs) (laughs) that's great (laughs) so let's see let's see um i got two more two and a half more real questions um so you know, sort of, you know, w- within your, your background and, and being here for, you know, a decade and a half in, in Baltimore and being, you know, around sort of the the visuals and being around sort of like the, the history component of it, especially with the archive uh, that's that's there and the, the blocks that are that are there. In your view, uh, what is the what is the, the visual language that says Baltimore that, you know, like when I go around and now kind of having a sense of like what the globe posters kind of look like. I see it. I was like, that's a Baltimore thing. That's a Baltimore poster right there. I do that. And uh, my, my girl looks at me. She's like, what are you talking about? I was like, you see that right there? I know the person. <laughs> so what, what, but what are some of the, the traits or the hallmarks of sort of that Baltimore visual language as it relates to design posters, you know, sort of that's, that's what I'm looking for in that area. Do you want globe specifically or my thoughts on Baltimore as a whole? Both. That that would be great, actually. <laughs> well, I think they, these these things sort of overlap. Baltimore's visual styling is very <coughs> Um, like you look at like the giant Domino's sugar sign and the Natty Bow Guy and all these things that we think of that are kind of kitschy and kind of Baltimore, but Globe fits into that. Like it's kind of loud and I mean it's fluorescent <laughs> backgrounds with black type on top. Like it's kind of garish. Like you're like why is this here? And you're like, but also I can't stop looking at it. Um, and I think that's kind of Baltimore's aesthetic is just kind of like loud and a little weird. Um, and once we, once we decide we like a brand, we just, we commit to liking it, um, in a really kind of adorable way, I guess. 
Um. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's good. Yeah, because um, we, we definitely will, will get hooked on it because I know that there are these different conversations, these sort of culture war conversations. Uh, you know, I, I had an interview recently. We were talking about the, uh, I guess, the 990 New Balances or what have you and certain cohorts that tend to wear those. And I'll share that off mic with you because I think it's very interesting. <laughs> um, and, and I remember reading this article about it and it was like, you know, folks in DC talking like DC's culture. It's like, yeah, this was our shoe. And then Baltimore tried to take it. I was like, oh, regional smoke. This is what we're doing. <laughs> I was like, no, no, we love our brands. This is ours. You know, thinking about that. But it's it's really interesting um, how maybe certain parts of a city kind of grab towards maybe a certain style or a certain visual. Um, and I think even with, you know, sort of the bombastic nature that's probably the word i want to use or the, the garishness around it we still have that diy thing too and it's like oh you chose those colors that's the fluorescence you went with all right cool well and i think globe is interesting i was having this conversation with somebody the other day about like globe is part of the maryland institute like institutions across baltimore have wronged people in their past present in their activities and globe is kind of unique. I always explain to people like globe and Micah have like a mullet relationship where Micah is like the business in the front, the nice clean corporate branding and globes, the party in the back. Um, but I think that globe, there's more to that in the, the value of globe and the way we can use it as a tool for communication because globe's been in Baltimore since 1929. They printed for all of the artists on all the jazz artists on Pennsylvania Avenue. And so if you've been around Baltimore for a long time, Baltimore's not globe's not new. Like people going to those jazz shows are used to seeing these globe posters. And so there's this like communal trust in this brand um, in the same way that like go-go artists in DC also recognize, or like people in the go-go community recognize Globe. And like, if you saw a Globe poster for a go-go show, you knew that show was actually going to happen. And so Globe's got this, like, it's a little garish and loud, but it's got this community trust mm. built into it that comes with its 81 year business history that it like, it was well known. It was well recognized. And it, in a lot of ways, like, in general, didn't wrong people. It was there to promote and be loud and kind of weird. And um, so I think that's kind of a special part about it. And I hope like as the steward, the current steward of the collection carrying it forward, I hope that like the work that I make and put out, especially in like, not necessarily like the commercial stuff we do, but I do a, a lot of nonpartisan voter work. Um, you know, really working towards encouraging people to go to the polls and to vote and to do their civic duty. And I hope that like in that sphere, like globe is kind of carrying that tradition forward and like I'm doing right, you know, or at least what I think at the time is like the best right way to like kind of for the community and like how we use these tools at our disposal. Thank you. That's, that's great. It's great to have that extra uh, context there. That's, that's great. So, I got here. Here's the, the last question and a half, if you will. <laughs> uh, you know, who have been 
some of your who or the who or the what of it have been some of your like influences in shaping your approach to design, your approach to or your creative philosophy? I'm going to combine the questions, actually. What are some of those influences that show up in, in your work and how you may go about your work or even show up in like the type of work that, that you really like look toward doing? Um, you know, as you mentioned with sort of the you know, the, 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 the posters around like voting or what have you, do you look back at like, I like th this era from the forties for sake of argument. And that, that pops up or, you know, what comes to mind for you? Um, so when, like when I'm looking at globe stuff, when I'm making new work, we always reference back to posters in the archive and there's different eras of globe. There's like the forties there's, well, there's like the, the thirties and forties era of kind of carnival posters and theater posters. And then there's the fifties and sixties, which is like the fluorescent bursts of color, like the stuff that Globe's really known for. Um, and then the go-go, what I call the go-go era, which is like mid seventies to early nineties. Um, it's much more linear in its styling. So, I mean, when I'm making new work, I'm looking at those different eras of Globe and the different people's hands who were involved in them and how they set up their structures. Um, and we draw a lot, you know, whether it's on a color palette or like a particular shape or how they did typesetting in a, on a, you know, they use typesetting to solve a particular problem for how names are laid out. Um, I think having this archive of posters to look into is really, really helpful, at least at the very least as a jumping off point. But like when I look, when I make new work now, you can often point back to it and be like, oh, that's that's this specific thing or it's drawing on like this idea. Um, I think more broadly outside of my globe work, I mean, there's a lot of people whose work I admire and appreciate. Um, I've mentioned her in this before. Um, Mary Mashburn, who's a designer printer here. Like, I mean, Mary has a lot of what I know about printing. I, my foundation in printing, I learned from Mary um, and also she's one of the hardest working people I know. Um, and so I certainly like that has rubbed off and has <laughs> like some of that comes from my horse background, but some of that stuff just comes from like, I mean, the number of times we left globe at like three o'clock in the morning. Cause Mary was like, we can pack one more box. <laughs> I'm like, like she's unstoppable. Um, so like in, within Baltimore, like definitely Mary's a big one. Um, more broadly in the letter, the letterpress community is really wonderful and mm -hmm. that there's a, it's a pretty small community. So you kind of, if you've been around for any period of time, you, you know, too many people. Um, so like poster people that I love right now are my friend, Brad Vetter. He's based out of Louisville. He used to be at hat show print. He now does his own thing and he just makes like the most awesome music posters for a huge range of musicians. And like, he's always, we have a group chat and he's always like sending us like, he won't say, he'll never send you the whole poster. If it's not <laughs> finished, which I respect. Like he's got to keep his comp, you know, he's got to keep it on the down low, but he like, will send these like little teasers of the things he's working on. And I'm like, give me more. <laughs> he's just got this great use of shapes and colors and how he like overlaps all of these things. Um, and there's a guy I'm going to butcher his last name. His, his name is Corey. I think his last name is Woznensky. He's a printer at Hat Show Print, and he's been doing this series of prints um, using letterpress to make musical instruments. And he's probably done like 
50 instruments at this point and his prints it's been really cool to watch his evolution from like the really early ones to his like his new stuff and how intricate they've gotten and he's like figured out how to work with all these modular pieces um to like really represent instruments in like this really kind of for lack of a you know no pun intended lyrical way um and then my last one who's my like She's sort of my letterpress printing girl crush. She's my friend, so I can say that. Um, there's a woman in, she's based out of Miami now, Ingrid Schindel, who I went to Mike. She was a year a couple, year behind me at Micah. And Ingrid is just like, she's a great printer. She has a really cool collection. And um, she'll just like, she's just always like, Miami is her vibe. And like all of her work has this like very like beachy Miami deco styling to it. And it's just so different than the work I make that I'm like, Oh, I just just want to hug your print collection. <laughs> so those are my those are my three people. Yeah, three, four, four people that I like really like admire their work and how they work. Thank you. So that's that's kind of it for the 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 real real questions. And uh, I got four because I've been typing as we've been talking. I got four rapid fire questions. Right. So as I like to tell people, don't overthink them. You know, whatever the answer is at that moment, it could change. It could be like, oh, right, you know, you know, can I do that over? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> okay. uh, all right. Uh, what was it for context? So, you know, music is is a theme that I've noticed with some of the po- um, posters you had mentioned. You mentioned James Brown. You mentioned Marvin Gaye. Um, what was your first concert? I'm curious about that. Oh, it was the Backstreet Boys Millennium Tour. As it should have been. Hell yeah. I was like 11. <laughs> yeah. 11. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in Connecticut, I went with my mom's best friend's daughter. Nice. <laughs> uh, this is one of those sort of this or that. Uh, are you more of a thinker or a doer? A doer. I'm more of a, a do first, beg for forgiveness later. Um, you, you mentioned the Japan trip earlier. Um, what was like sort of like a, a highlight that you'd want to share um, about that trip? I've never been. I'm studying J- Japanese right now. Uh, so definitely my ears perked up behind my headphone cans like, oh, Jap- Japan. Oh, my God. It was the most it was one of the coolest trips I've ever done. Um, what wasn't a highlight of that trip? <laughs> Do you want like a food thing or like a sure. place thing? Okay. So we did my, my husband is the the planner in our relationship. Um, he's the thinker. Um, and so one of the food things, so we did a, a, a sushi omakase place where there's like eight of you and they, you know, one bite at a time. And I've just always wanted to, I've never dined in an, in an intimate setting like that. And it was just like, it was just like a really nice energy and watching the chef work his craft with that knife was just like the most magical thing I've ever experienced. And also the fish was delicious. <laughs> no, I, I, I love that. Um, it's a, the, I guess it's a, a docu, I guess it's a, a documentary is, is it, it feels like a film. Sometimes it's, it's weird between the two, but that Euro dreams of sushi, that whole documentary. And, you know, I share a birthday with Questlove. So when I found out that Questlove flew to Japan on his birthday to have sushi at that dude's like sushi, like place, I was like, I have to do that. That needs <laughs> to happen because I, I enjoy sushi. I'm a big fan and I want to get like sort of top tier sushi. It's like, 
it's like having really good whiskey and then knowing like what's mid and what's yeah. swill. Yeah. It really kind of ruins your palate when you come back to the US and you're like, we got one kind of tuna here. What do you mean you don't have the fattiest tuna that melts in my mouth? Um, <laughs> but we eat everything. My husband is a great trip planner in that like we did like Michelin stars, but also like food carts and oh, the pork, um, the pork sandwiches. Why am I blanking on the word? Absolutely. Katsu, yeah, the pork katsu sandwiches at like Family Mart. I could eat those every day. Like, I'm a glutton for a fried piece of pork. That's great. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if I can get my, my my Japanese stuff on point, like literally in the day job, like I have some, some coworkers who um, are, are are Asian, and they saw like I had on my uh, my my uh, in my cubicle the like the top tier green tea. And they were like, oh, you know, <laughs> it's like I've earned street cred. <laughs> so I'm just the, the dude that's walking around drinking bottles of green tea, <laughs> drinking Ocha all day. <laughs> uh, was, let's see. And then we accidentally, the best thing we did was we accidentally went on like a religious pil- pilgrimage. <laughs> we, I, I love old building. I mean, I love old things, but we ended up going to a lot of shrines and temples, um, which was to do some of that was intentional at first, but, but then it became a thing where I was like, we haven't been to a shrine today. Um, where is that? Where is that in our schedule? And like, I, I mean, we probably realistically went to like 40 or 50 shrines and temples by the time it was all said and done. Cause some of them, some of them are like right next to each other. Yeah, Um, They're like in the same place um but he's like yeah we we accidentally went on a religious pilgrimage when we went to japan um and it was beautiful and like i know if churches here were like shrines and temples i could i i you know i'd be more into it (laughs) this is the last one i got for you because uh and and i definitely i i think that there's a like-mindedness here but i wanted this is sort of the this is like that thing when someone's like looking for the job and it's like this is the interview question you know, it's like the last one. That's the one that's determining whether you get the job or not. So this is the last one. You mentioned donuts earlier. What is your favorite donut? That's an easy one. Um, I'm so sad that they went out of business, but Hone's Bakery used to have, it was called a bird's nest donut. And so it's a cake donut with homemade marshmallow and coconut on top. That and delicious. Uh, they were decadent. Um and when we moved, when, so when we were moving Globe, I ate that donut probably three times a day. <laughs> wow. But, you know, I was sweating, I was sweating all the calories out. So I was like, you know. <laughs> Need to carve back up. <laughs> bring me my donuts. Uh, that would be, okay. And then there's one, and I apologize because I cannot remember the name of the bakery, but there's somebody in, there's a bakery in town who makes these strawberry shortcake flavored donuts and they are magic. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel super bad that I don't know who they, I can't think of the name of the bakery, but um, if they're out there, I love your strawberry shortcake donuts. (laughs) Those are both acceptable answers. I I was hoping because not too many people like my favorite. I'm, I'm very, I guess I'm a basic B when it comes to this one. It's like, can I get a blueberry cake donut, please? Thanks. That's acceptable. Where's your okay? So where do you get your blueberry cake donut? Um, 
so this is where it gets decadent and like like fat boy steez. I like to go to the Amish market because they use the real butter and the one that's like in Hunt Valley. I go there and I get loose. And I had um I had a moment where because I think like food and I think sharing things that you like is, is sort of like a vehicle for like really ex- exchange and like building rapport and maybe even friendship. Um, I, I was there with my nephew and I was giving him this, this example about money. And I like, um, I'm, you know, where he, he didn't have any money. He's like 13 or what have you. And I was like, I'm gonna give you $5. And he was just like, okay. And he's going to put it in his pocket. And I was like, no, but you're spending it before we leave here. This is for fun. This is fun money. This is not real money. Um, so we ended up going to the uh, donut stand and, um, he's like, do you want anything? I was like, no, no. I was like, but you know, my favorite one is the blueberry cake donut. So he gets his donuts and he has like enough to get like three donuts. So he like just gets the two of his favorite, and I think he's gonna put the change away and keep it. And he's like, and I'm gonna get a blueberry cake one because I want to try what my uncle likes. And I was just like, oh, I just shared. I just shared with my nephew. It felt really cool. That's super sweet. <laughs> so left left on a, a nice warm note there. Um, I like that. It's a good uh, <laughs> bringing it back. Uh, donut pun intended. Full circle. Yeah. Nice, nice. That's good. That's good. So that's pretty much it for the full podcast we're, we're, we're done we made it through um, we didn't lose anyone um and i want to do in these final moments invite and encourage you one i want to thank you for being on this podcast and and two i want to invite and encourage you to share with the listeners anything you want in the final moments um social media website all of that good stuff globe 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 the floor is yours uh sure um are you can find us on the internet sometimes um we are our handle at most places is that the aspirand the at symbol globe at globes but sorry let me do this again our handle is globe at mica um but you got to put the little thing in front of us (laughs) i really dove off the deep end on that one our handles on social media are globe at mica um um (laughs) that was great I was like, well, I was like, you're, you're, what are you doing here? I was like, I was like, I'm just gonna let you go off that ledge right there. Oh yeah, I just dove head first. Well, sometimes we always say our social media looks like glob eat Micah. But True. Globe at Micah, but it's hard to explain to people the like the at sign. Whatever. <laughs> I'm gonna do that again without giggling and falling off the deep end if I need to. No, no, we're gonna keep it in. We're <laughs> gonna keep all of it in. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't post on social media that often because I'm usually too busy fighting with the press. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to close out there before we start getting real, real. Turn this to a Patreon exclusive podcast. Perfect. There you have it, folks. I want to again thank the manager of the Globe Collection and Press at the Maryland Institute College of Art, Allison Tipton, for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art, culture, and community in and around Baltimore. You've just got to look for it. Thank you.